Kei ngā rito kōrari o te pāhara keke rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei kia koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa ke nei. Dallas Adams is Aotearoa's most capped F45 member. It wasn't even my goal, to be honest. <laughs> I think that just came with it, being so passionate. Mm. He shares how his passion helped him to overcome sexual abuse and drug and alcohol dependency. I wanted to start rebuilding the foundations that I didn't know I had. They helped me stay consistent, they helped me go through all the pain. We were just really proud of the fact that someone from our studio, and we're blessed that it's, it's Dallas, member number one, who's, uh, who's leading the way in, in that regard. Then we speak to Nationals Dr Shane Reti about the Māori Health Authority, Three Waters and co-governance. Tahiti mai. Tamatū, Tamaora, Tamanoho, Tamamate. He's Aotearoa's most capped F45 member, a poster boy for physical strength and fitness. But it's Dallas Adams' inner strength that defines his identity. Dallas is a survivor of sexual abuse and decades of drug and alcohol dependency. Now the 37-year-old is sharing his story in the hope it can help others. Kea D'Angelo Martin, te roangake o ngā kōrero. At the break of dawn, you'll find Dallas Rahui Te Ahuru Adams here. Training's helped me in so many ways. Working the body. I didn't do this to look good on the outside. I did this to feel good on the inside. Strengthening a once broken spirit. Go away, Dallas. Exercising the trauma of his past to become the most capped F45 member in the country. I knew I had to um, be that person to bring some light in their darkness. When the F45 fitness craze started in the Hawke's Bay four years ago, 37-year-old Dallas Adams was the first to sign up. F45 has really um, been a blessing, huge blessing. If this wasn't here, I wouldn't be where I am today. And where he is today is a long way from the pain of his past. So this place here is where I spent most of my childhood. It's a story that begins here in Camberley Hastings, where he grew up. Didn't have a backyard in our home, so this was it. Brings a lot of good memories, hanging out with all the other kids, doing what children should be still doing, is getting amongst the nature, even if they're in a, in a place of um, hardship. And hardship was very much a part of life for Dallas. When he was just five years old, he started to be sexually abused by trusted adults. Where are we, Dallas? Uh, we're outside the very house that uh, when I first encountered my my sexual abuse. Why did it start? I was asleep. Yeah, I was asleep in, in one of the bedrooms. Woke up to to being being molested, being just being 
Yeah, it's been abused by him. Mum and Dad dropped you off here. Yeah, well, they thought I know. Yeah. Dallas says he was so young at the time, he thought the abuse was normal. When he reached 10 years of age, he realised what was happening to him wasn't okay. The abuse ended, and a few years later, he worked up the courage to tell his whanau. They were shocked. They were all shocked. And that was them being angry about it, disappointed, but um, they didn't know, so I don't blame them. While the abuse had stopped, the pain hadn't. That set me up to just pretty much rebel. Yeah, just hated everyone, hated everything. Wasn't happy, you know, waking up. Like, oh, I have to go through another day of reliving what I went through. Yeah, it was just eating me up inside. And to go through all of that as a, as a young Māori male, everything's stacked against you. All the odds and that are just... Yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a feeling I want anyone to go through. To cope with his mamai, Dallas turned to drugs and alcohol. To me, that was medicine. To me, when I was picking up the bottle, it was comfort. It was, to me, safety. It was just really numbing that pain and, and getting through the day. I was drinking a lot. Heaps. And then, yeah, the drugs followed after that, not long after that. What started as recreational use spiralled into 20 years of substance abuse. I thought that was the way to, to feel good, to feel better. Not knowing that that's only for a moment in time and then after that, that's when the, the crash starts to happen and the withdrawals and the, the trauma starts to come back again. Clawing his way back from two decades of abuse and addiction wouldn't be easy. It would take a spiritual awakening. Came at a crossroads. At the time, I was real lost, you know, drunk and drugged up and just walking in the streets, just feeling lost as. And then I just looked up here, looked up into the sky, because um, we all believe in something. <laughs> For me, it was like, oh, if there's a God out there, can you just tell me? Can you, like, make me feel better? That was the moment where I felt that genuine aroha, that genuine love. Next, blood, sweat and tears. Dallas tells us how he transformed his life and how he was able to forgive his abusers. I knew I had to forgive. And it wasn't about taking my power away, it was more about letting it go. Before the break, Dallas Adams shared how the sexual abuse he suffered as a child sent him spiralling into 20 years of drug and alcohol addiction. In this next part, Dallas tells the hui how he was able to transform from a broken man into Aotearoa's most capped F45 member, who is now helping others to transform their lives. 
kaua mate waiwai tutuku ingare mate upuku pakaru. Kaya D'Angelo Martin ngā whakamahuki. All right, we turn up this morning to get something out of it. When Dallas Adams says exercise saved his life, he means it. Let's finish strong, team. It's helped keep this sexual abuse survivor clean and sober after two decades of drug and alcohol abuse. When the morning, when the day. These days, Dallas is a fitness fanatic. I've joined him at the gym, hoping to keep up. But actually struggling quite a bit. What made you come to F45? I've tried several other gyms, you know, and then it wasn't really happening because I didn't know I needed the extra support at the start, and there wasn't really any group classes or anything like that at the time. But since joining this F45 club four years ago, Dallas found the totoko he needed and dropped over 20 kgs in the process. I wanted to start rebuilding the foundations that I didn't know I had. They helped me stay consistent. They helped me go through all the pain. But that pain is a, a reaction of becoming a better person or being stronger or being mentally well. 1,400 classes on, he's the most capped F45 member in Aotearoa. It wasn't even my goal, to be honest. I think that just came with it, being so passionate. Mm. This place brought passion, this place brought their fire within me. We were just really proud of the fact that, you know, someone from our studio and, you know, um, we're blessed that it's, it's Dallas, uh, member number one, who's, uh, who's leading the way in, in that regard. Brian Tongia, owner and coach of F45 Hastings, is an eyewitness to Dallas's growth as a person. The man that, that you see today with uh, Mr. Dallas Adams uh, is, is definitely a far better version than uh, what he was four years ago. I just remember the first time I called him up to um, you know, welcome him into the F45 whanau. He did come across as you know, ha having a quiet demeanour. Once Brian became aware of Dallas's past trauma, he and the rest of the F45 members wrapped around him. If we were going to be able to help him with his journey, we needed the whole team involved. That journey has taken Dallas all the way to Asia, where in 2018, he completed the Great Wall of China Marathon. That's it, we're gonna speed it up now. And today, he's putting me through my paces. That's it, five seconds. Three, two, one. It is us for your Thursday workout. Wow, that was actually quite intense, bro. What a way to start the day. I can see why it's so addicting. It is very addicting, but it's a positive addiction, and it sets me up for mahi. Dallas now works as a health coach at Health Hawke's Bay, helping others to make positive change in their lives. He says a key component of his mahi is encouraging Tane Māori to open up about their challenges. Just struggling with the motivation. They're in their vulnerable stage and it's about gaining their trust from the get-go. You have to be genuine in this role in, in helping others. We have to have the image of um, being the tough guy, get over it kind of thing. But now it's like, no, no, you're more of a man talking about some genuine feelings.
For Dallas, this is more than just a job. It's a labour of love. It's a mahi that's meaningful. I look forward to helping others. When you see their journey at the beginning, they walk into your office and you have to pass them the tissues and all that kind of stuff. And then a couple of sessions later, they've completely transformed in, in their way of their own healing. And healing himself from the sexual abuse he endured as a kid has been a long and ongoing process. When you were at the peak of your addictions, what did that look like? Did you paint the picture? That picture looked like a, a, a man who was struggling with his own demons and had no sense of hope, hated everyone, hated the world, blamed everyone. And deep down, I was just hurting. Did you get a chance to forgive those who abused you? It was powerful, because I, I didn't want to forgive at all. Up until when I was at a crossroads, 29.30, I knew I had to forgive. And it wasn't about taking my power away, it was more about letting it go. You have to let it go, you can't hold it in. That's not going to help your healing journey. You need to forgive in order to grow as a person and to to bring that love into you. How is Dallas now? Dallas is a, a, a obviously a new new person, a person who's been rebirthed in 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 the good. Now I'm able to be in a position to to help people who are who are suffering now, who are suffering in silence, who need that initial support, and just knowing that there is strength in, in speaking out and sharing your kōrero and sharing your truth. Kei runga noa atu koe e Dallas, nā D'Angelo Martin tērā rīpoata. Hei muri i ngā whakatairanga ka kōrero māua ko tākuta Shane Reti. Auraki mai anō. Labour government policies with a strong Māori focus have become a bone of contention, with the Māori Health Authority along with Three Waters and the concept of co-governance filling up headlines. The National Party has been critical of the government's approach and vowed to disestablish the Māori Health Authority despite decades of abysmal health outcomes for Māori. National spokesperson for health, Dr Shane Reti, says the success of Māori health providers delivering COVID vaccines shows there's no need for a Māori health authority. Hei matapaki i tēnei take ko honomai a tākuta Shane Reti. Tēnā koe e te rangatira. Tēnā koe mihi, nā mihi, kia koe. Kia Good koe. to speak with you. Before we get into Māori Health Authority, I just wanted to touch. You were fairly vocal last week on um, a DHB decision which was to remodel health care for teenagers in the Hawke's Bay, and you called it a stupid decision. The change will mean 14 to 17-year-olds in the Hawke's Bay who currently get free GP visits will now be moved to a new service, a new service that is better structured to deal with Māori and Pacifica. So what's so stupid about that? What it also means is that the absolutely vital uh, patient-doctor relationship will be broken 
for ease of access and the number of people who have already complained about that, that potentially they would have to leave their long-standing and enduring uh, network of trust with their current provider to go to a different service is something that shouldn't be navigated with cost. This was tried with VLCAs to varying degrees, that is those very low-cost access uh, services, and when they first came in it also caused a lot of problems with people needing, their, uh, needing to leave their established GPs and go elsewhere for access to services. So that is my concern primarily that that really important GP-patient relationship will be broken. So the, the DHB has made this decision following a review which found that there has been a decline in teenagers from low-deprived um, areas being seen by GPs. So this is a new approach uh, and it is, is it's attempting to bring equity to the healthcare of that cohort of teenagers in, in Hawke's Bay. Isn't this your line though, you know, that it's healthcare for all New Zealanders, not just, you know, those mm. who are lucky enough to have their own GP? Mm, and so it should be for all New Zealanders. As it currently stands, uh, it's available to uh, all GPs, to everyone in that age group, and under the review, they're now reducing that access. Uh, what would be a preferred solution would be to return where all practices, all providers and all patients have that same equal access to the service. That's a better solution. But the, but the, but the report has shown that there's a decline in the most vulnerable group of teenagers in the Hawke's Bay, those that come for, from deprived areas, and they're not having any access, so that's unfair. So this is, isn't this a model that actually equal, you know, makes things more equal? No, there are some who are already uh, attending uh, those practices that are receiving the subsidy and all that will happen is they will need to find services elsewhere as a number of, of mothers of children have already described around this issue. They will need to find services out uh, elsewhere outside of that long network of trust and understanding that they've already built up with a GP. And certainly as, as people come into their teenage years, that relationship of trust over years and years and years is abso absolutely vital and it shouldn't be readily broken by a DHB who decides they either haven't accounted properly or they're not well funded. Uh, you shouldn't be breaking the GP-patient relationship just on that basis. Not everyone is lucky enough to have a GP. We know that, particularly Māori and Pacifica mm. who come from, you know, those kinds of areas. So what's your suggestion in terms of making it equal for all? Mm, so this talks to health workforce primarily. I, I understand that as, as a Māori doctor myself, uh, seeing patients. Uh, that talks to uh, health workforce, uh, building up that domestic uh, cohort of culturally competent practitioners, uh, and also continuing to deal with issues of, of financial burden, of transport. They are still going to require attention, but just to direct people to a different provider on the basis of cost breaks a really important principle. Okay, so um, your leader has recently said on Q&A that uh, National might not scrap the Māori Health Authority if it's, you know, partly implement, uh, implemented, while on the other channel Nicola Willis said it's absolutely gone. Does National have a problem with its messaging? Not at all. Uh, let me be clear. Uh, what has been said here is that the health workforce and health stakeholders have told us that uh, it wouldn't be wise to undertake big structural reform if we're privileged enough so to be it, government so in 2023. Or go? Is it and, so, and so where we'll, where we'll land in 2023 will be to stabilise the sector, but the Māori Health Authority will go, it will be reabsorbed into a very strong Māori Health Directorate inside the Ministry of Health, and that messaging has been consistent. S 
isn't that exactly what the Māori Health Authority is? It's a very big organisation inside the Ministry of Health. No, the uh, Māori Health Authority is a completely separate health authority, as the architect of the reforms here, the Simpson, has described it. When it assumed commissioning powers, it became a separate health system, and that's going to create a whole lot of problems. And so, no, we will absorb it inside the Ministry of Health as a, as a really strengthened and strong uh, Māori Health Directorate. So what are your plans for um, reducing inequities then? So uh, a number of things. Uh, first of all, we're going to focus on a number of the really big inequities for Māori. We know that sits in cancer. We know that sits in cardiovascular disease. And what we'll do is we'll set ourselves target, targets. I'll hold myself accountable for those targets. That will hold the system and providers accountable for those targets. We'll go right after those Māori health outcomes that are so critical, which are so missing in these reforms. You know, a, a government document that says a Māori health authority will have no health outcomes in the first five years that's just not tenable. And being inside the select committee where this was discussed, the expectations of the presenters to that select committee was that there would be outcomes definitely in that first year. And when I asked them what sort of outcomes might you like to see in the first year, most of them said immunisation chain. So it sounds exactly like what we have already, that you're going to target specific inequities and you're going to try and fix them. Um, and it's basically sounds like the status quo and we've and as we've said before that you know the outcomes for Māori and Pacifica have been abysmal for decades and decades. So several things there. First of all, uh, if we look at, for example, life expectancy in 1840, for Māori it was 30 years. Today it's 73.4 years. So over time there has been improvements. The better question is why it's 73.4 for Māori today and 80 for non-Māori. That's the challenge we all have actually. How do we address that, that delta, that, that difference here now? And no, a Māori health authority in our hands will be significantly resourced. It'll have really clear targets. Uh, it'll be be well-funded and clear direction and a really strong leadership. Uh, that's what you'll see to address Māori health inequities in our hands. That's an interesting comparison, 1840 to 2022, but let's stay on 1840. Uh, your leader has well, said it that... makes the point where, 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 you, where you say there's been no advantages over decades and decades. We just need to be clear. We, we need to explain that. But again, it comes back to the better question is why today we've got that difference. That's, that's what we need to work on. You've said, uh, your leader has said that co-governance for treaty settlements, um, but nothing else. Is that something that you support too? Yeah, so it's a challenge, the principle of co-governance competing with other principles. And we know that, say, where it competes with the principle of private asset management with three waters, that's a challenge. And in health, as we've just been discussing, where the principle of co-governance competes with the primacy of health need, uh, that's a challenge for us as well. So I completely support what the leader has said. So do you agree that the treaty settlement uh, process as a mechanism to address the Crown breaches like, you know, the land confiscations um, and things like that? I think it's a significant mechanism to address um, so, many of the failings uh, from the Crown to Māori over many decades. Okay. It is a significant mechanism. So let's put that to the side and then let's deal with Article 3 of Te Tiriti, which promises Māori the same rights as Pākehā um, because that's not happening. So how do we deal with that? 
Uh, so what that relies on, that relies on uh, really strong collaborative actions across a range of government services, uh, which has been moderately well done across a, a, a number of governments, certainly not perfectly because we've got the issues we've got here today, but uh, those sort of issues are going to require multi-agency involvement, and it needs to take Māori and New Zealanders with them in that decision-making, and that's partly where uh, Willie and some of his team have got into difficulty with their vision of what equity for Māori might look like going what, what forward. Do you mean by that? Have, what do you mean by New that, by taking them. New Zealanders with them? Because, you know, for, mm -hmm. for decades and decades, Māori have had no decision-making. So what are you saying there where you say that we have to take New Zealanders with them when we make decisions? So there's a lot of uh, flack around the, um, the declaration that Willie is, uh, is progressing and one of the arguments has been that New Zealanders don't feel that they know what's happening or that they've been involved. Some Māori are saying they haven't been involved as well. Key constitutional things like we're talking about Dr. here Lete, have you're, to you're, take New Zealanders with them to be successful. It was your party that signed up to that declaration. It was, it was mm, the National Party signed that up signed to up. Was an, it was, and what we signed up to was a non-binding declaration, which was reported back about two weeks ago. And if I look at that report back, several things strike me. First of all, none of the 46 articles in the declaration are actually addressed in that thematic analysis. I think, uh, secondly, there's something interesting around the preeminence of the documents, in as much as that the declaration seems to talk more about Article 3 citizenship type oritetanga issues, whereas Māori in the discussion we're having here is more around Article 2, Tinoranga Tiratanga. That seems to be a bit of a disconnect. And the third thing I'd put to you is, do we actually need a declaration? Is the Treaty of Waitangi actually not enough? And furthermore, where in the hierarchy of documents is this new declaration going to sit? Is it going to sit over the Treaty of Waitangi? Uh, is the UN actually going to have some sort of oversight uh, over the treaty? I think, I think these are discussions are saying, that need to, saying, to come forward that haven't been well talked through. Are you saying that Te Tiriti or Waitangi has been enough for Māori? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm raising the question as when we look at addressing the declaration, uh, which is the point you've raised, the question is whether the Treaty of Waitangi does that and more. That's what we need to discuss and whether the UN declaration might in some way have preeminence over the treaty and what we think about that. That would be a concern. Um, just something that popped up this morning, the ACT Party is proposing to abolish a number of new, uh, ministries, including Māori Development, uh, Pacifica, Ethnic, Women's and Human Rights. Do you support that policy? Uh, we would need to have that discussion in caucus, but our position here uh, at the moment is no, we would not support that. So, but that would be pending a caucus discussion. So if you were to form a government with the ACT Party, you would oppose that policy to uh, abolish those ministries? No, we would need to have that discussion in caucus, but our well, current position is Can you tell me your personal view? Stand. Do you support those ministries for women? Uh, for it's a... It's a it's a caucus decision. It's not for me to make individually. So maybe. Um, but the so current maybe. position is that those ministries would stand. Yeah, so maybe. No, it's a caucus well, it's position. Well, it's not a no. Uh, it's, not a position, it's not a position that I can take. What I'm telling you is here today, that is not our current position. So today it is no, but what you've put to me would need to be discussed by caucus. Tēnā koe. Ko tākuta Shane Rieti tērā. Ko e ngā mahi rāranga kōrero mō tēnei wā nohoro maira.
Nā te puna whakatongarewa te hui i tautoko.